one? Yeah, there it is. God bless you. Well, it's good to be here at the Faith Baptist Church. And again, congratulations. Happy anniversary. And God has certainly blessed uh, this church over these many years. And God still wants to do something special in all of our lives. Amen. And uh, we thank the Lord for it. I do appreciate uh, my brother, uh, James. I remember uh, before I got right with the Lord, I was baptized uh, by my daddy when I was seven years old. Uh, but uh, I didn't come to know Christ as my Savior until I was 18. Can that happen? It sure can. And baptism has never saved anyone. I just did it because Henry and Sidney Duffy did it. And uh, my buddies, and they got baptized. And so Daddy was baptized, and I got baptized. But I never remembered a time in my life when I truly trusted Christ as my Savior. And, uh, but uh, James... Uh, being my older brother, I remember one time coming home from Bible college, and I don't know what I said, what I did, but evidently it was pretty bad because Mama, she got uh, James and Sonny, took me to the bathroom in the bathtub and washed my mouth out with soap. I have no idea of what I said. Do you remember? Oh, you can't repeat it, can you? Okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, I remember that. Do you remember that? You said you hate your brother. No, I didn't say I hate my brother. I love my brother. Did I say it then? Oh, no, that wasn't what it was. It was something worse than that. But uh, at any rate, uh, I do love my brother, and I thank the Lord for his life and his testimony and how that God has used him uh, in my life. Uh, there's no question about it. He's been my hero for many, many years, and I thank the Lord. He's still my hero. It's an honor to be here at Faith Church. I remember when you were across town that... Uh, years ago, we would come and stay there uh, in the old parsonage, and I remember um, we would bring the quartet down. Uh, we had a quartet after we got saved and married, and uh, had a quartet, Marsha and I sang in it, and we would bring the quartet down two or three times and sing for different things, and what a blessing that, that it was. And I felt that there was enough preachers in our family, and that uh, I surely wasn't going to be a preacher. Uh, but never say never, as I said this morning. And uh, I'm thankful, Lord, that uh, the Lord called me to preach when I was 33 years old. And my wife didn't marry a preacher. Uh, she married a salesman. And, uh, but uh, there's not much difference between a salesman and a preacher, right? I don't know why you laughed on that, but you did. But uh, take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And we'll just read a couple verses and get right into the text and ask God again to use us uh, for these next few minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, let's pick up, if we could, in verse number uh, 16. The Apostle Paul is writing uh, to the church at Corinth. And as he, as he pins these letters, uh, he always writes with a definite purpose. In the previous chapter, Paul's discussing the liberty uh, of a Christian. Uh, that we have in Christ. Uh, our liberty, however, is limited by His love for us and our love for Him. Uh, the Bible reminds us in uh, chapter 8, in verse number 9, if you'll notice that, that I'll do some things, uh, but even though I have the right to do some things, uh, because somebody could be offended, uh, I must guard myself and guard my heart. If my liberty causes me to someone else to stumble, uh, then I'm accountable to the Lord. Uh, for example, here in this chapter, the Apostle Paul explains that the church has an obligation to support him, to provide his needs. Uh, however, he goes on and says, lest 
he should hinder the gospel of Christ. He chose rather again to make tents all through his ministry. Uh, the real emphasis here in this text is on evangelism. Uh, notice, would you please, as we read this passage of Scripture, beginning in verse number 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that I, when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. Would you notice the phrase, all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, notice again the phrase, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain, notice it again, them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, notice, that I might gain them that are without law. And to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. The Apostle Paul repeats uh, that I might gain the weak or that I might gain the Jews. Uh, I heard a long time ago the phrase, never repeat. I said never repeat for emphasis. And it's obvious that the Apostle Paul is giving emphasis in this text. It brings us to our subject for this morning in verse number 23. Would you read this verse with me? This I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. Let's repeat that first phrase. This I do for the gospel's sake. Say it again. This I do for the gospel's sake. So we recognize that there are some things that we would do and some things we would not do for the cause of Christ. And for the gospel's sake, Paul said that I might gain the more in verse 20, that I might gain the Jews later in verse 20, and that I might gain those that are under the law, that I might gain those that are without the law, that I might gain those. Why do we exist? Why as a Christian has God left us here? I heard a preacher say many years ago that some would be better off when they trust Christ as their Savior, follow the Lord in believer's baptism, that the deacons meet them at the door and hit them in the head with a baseball bat and send them on to glory. Well, that doesn't sound very kind or nice, does it? No, not at all. But God has saved us, the emphasis would be, for a purpose. God has a purpose for all of our lives. Amen. You may never sing in the choir. You may never sing as a special as the ladies did an outstanding job. You may never stand to teach a lesson or preach a message. But God has a plan for all of our lives. And when we think about our church and the celebration that you're celebrating all these many years, how that God has met every need these 82 years, that's an amazing thing. And think about the people that are in glory because of this fellowship, because of this church. And think about those that are around us. And there's many more to be won for Christ. This I do 
for the gospel's sake, for the fatherance of the gospel. On another occasion, the apostle Paul said, talking about going through trials or heartache, he said, but this was still for the fatherance of the gospel, even though he was in a Roman jail cell. He said, this is for the fatherance of the gospel. So all that we do is for the gospel's sake. We find in this passage of scripture, the phrase again in verse 23, and this I do for the gospel's sake. Let me give you four or five thoughts. First of all, when you think about why we do what we do, there is a motive, a compelling motive. Would you write it down? A compelling motive. The Apostle Paul did say that it's the love of Christ that constraineth me. But when I think about what God has left us here for as a Christian, for many years, for almost 30-some years, I was uh, in, in sales, almost 30 years in sales. And I learned many years ago that there's actually motives or reasons as to what we do or what we buy or what we don't do or what we do not buy. And there's motives for every morning that we get up. There's actually five motives. Pride, we do things for pride. Profit, fear, love, or need. You think about it. Everything that I do is one of those five things. Pride, profit, fear, love, or need. Understand this, however, there is one motive here in this passage of Scripture. Why do we live the life that we need to live as a child of God? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Recognizing that none of us have arrived and none of us will ever get to the point that we have reached sinless perfection, regardless of what some may teach. But I'm thankful again for the Word of God that reminds us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But then he goes on and says with a conjunction, but if we can confess our sins, plural, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Not only the grace of God that brings us to the knowledge of our sin, the grace of God that transforms our life, but the grace of God that keeps us day by day. Thus Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. As a child of God, we could all give praise and glory to the Lord, knowing there is a compelling motive that we desire to be faithful to the Lord, for a church to be in existence for better than eight decades. The Apostle Paul reminds us that one day the scales, again, will be weighed. And we'll stand before the Lord and give an account of everything we've done in these bodies, be it good or bad. Keep in mind that all of us have an appointment and for the Bible reminds us, it's appointed unto man once to die. And then he says, and after this, the judgment. And so we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, the Lord Jesus Christ says, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you'll read that passage of scripture and understand that's a continual process. It's not once we get saved, okay, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven when I die, and that's it. I want you to know, you're not saved by your works. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. But keep in mind, we're going to stand one day before the Lord and give an account of everything we've done in this body, be it good or bad. So why do we do what we do? We recognize that we have a compelling motive 
And one day we're going to stand before the Lord. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. We could go around the room and we all desire to be accepted. Uh, we all desire to have approval. Even as a parent, uh, we desire to, to be, have approval. Uh, not that we give in to the kids, but we want our kids to love us and, and feel, hey, mom and dad, they, uh, they're great. Mom and dad, they're wonderful. Uh, we think about the grandchildren and we want them to be accept, accept us and not be ashamed of us, right? We want friends to love us and accept us. But more importantly, even though I'm accepted in the beloved, I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Enter down to the joys of the Lord and I'll make you ruler over many things. Oh, I'm not working for those things that I can get. I should work because of the love of Christ that constraineth me. But we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. We are accountable. We have an appointment with the Lord. And may I say, it should determine our action in this hour. And Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust are also are made manifest in your conscience. Paul said, this I do for the gospel's sake. And so we talk about a compelling motive, and we understand when we talk about pride, profit, fear, love, or need, there's one constraining motive, and that's love itself. The scriptures from 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And again, the Bible reminds us in Romans 5.8, But God commendeth his love toward us. When I think about where I was, even as a preacher's kid, I'd heard the gospel. I tell him a poem that I was actually raised on drugs my whole life. I was drugged to church on Sunday morning, drugged to church on Sunday night, drugged on Wednesday night. I remember one time, Daddy had a six weeks revival, a six weeks revival. Daddy went to Milton, West Virginia for a time we lived in Alabama. That's where Eddie Ray was born. I guess that's the only reason we went to Alabama. I'll just leave it there, not say any more. It is in heaven. I'm going to see him one day. Amen. But we moved back to West Virginia to a place called Milton, West Virginia. Milton on the mud, the Mud River, right off of Route 60. And we had been living in a little apartment. And prior to that in Alabama, we lived in a parsonage. And Daddy bought an eight-room house. And I thought, wow, I'm going to have my own bedroom, you know. And uh, I was so excited about that big lot. Remember that, James? That eight-room house. And they were five of us. And we recognized again that, that we would all have a place. The only one that had our own bedroom was Janet. I never understood that. But, and I had to sleep with James and Sonny at the foot of the bed. Can you imagine sleeping with your older brothers at the foot of the bed? You say, well, what happened to the eight-room house? Daddy knocked out four rooms and made a church. And so when we go to church, we just go through the door like that, we're in church. We're home. 
And the bad part of it is there was no McDonald's back in that day. And so whenever church was over, everybody would just come into our home. But we lived in the back of the, uh, back of the church. And the church was in the front with old theater seats. It had splinters and gum and, and initials and, and RP plus MJ and all that, you know, uh, all over those seats. It was old theater seats. And uh, they put the windows up, you know, no air condition, a fan blowing. I remember one time a preacher called O'Aggians was preaching and there was this, this a bug that was flying around and all of a sudden it went down his throat, you know, and he grabbed that water. I would drink this water, but you took a drink of it a while ago, so I'm not sure. But at any rate, he took a drink of that water and just kept right on preaching, you know. And it was during that time that I recognized for the first time uh, that uh, I needed the Savior. Daddy baptized me. I remember that. Uh, but I never nailed it down. So I didn't get saved actually until years later uh, at 18 that I trusted Christ and nailed it down all the way. And keep in mind, uh, though growing up that way around preaching, I never thought I would be a preacher. I always said, not me, never. And James took off preaching. Praise the Lord for that. And I thought, wow, that's wonderful. But not me, not me. But never say never. Uh, God has a plan for all of us. And I recognize that all of us are going to stand before the Lord and we are going to give an account uh, for what you know to do. God may be calling some of you even now. Maybe it's just simply uh, to surrender all to the Lord. When we think about this call, this is a, a compelling call, a constraining love that is there, but it's also a consecrated call. And Paul said, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. God changed his life on the road to Damascus, did he not? And praise the Lord for that. And Paul did not recognize, even though he was persecuting the church, trying to stomp out the church, that God was going to use the very man that was trying to stop the gospel to be the one to spread the gospel even farther because the Lord reminded him that he was a chosen vessel unto the Lord. By the way, we're all chosen vessels unto the Lord. And as a chosen vessel, we have a message that needs to be explained to others, a confident message. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul said, and this I do for the gospel's sake in our text. He recognized again that God had left him here for a purpose. And every person in this room, God has a purpose in your life. God wants to use all of us. And even though that we may not all preach or go to the mission field, we all are proclaiming, we're all preaching the gospel. Your epistles read of all men. We think about the light that this church has been in these 82 years in this community. You think about the days ahead till the Lord Jesus Christ comes. God has a place for all of us to serve him. And Paul said, this I do for the gospel's sake. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 31, the apostle Paul gives us these wonderful thoughts. He says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. I said, Paul, it's Luke is the writer. Assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with what power? With great power. And so when we think about this message that we have, this is a consecrated call with a confident message that all of us need to be aware of. The 80 years, the 80 years, 82 years that has gone by, What's going to happen? 
the next 18 years, when the church will be 100 years old. Oh, we would all like to say we're going to be here, but many of us will be gone. I truly believe that the Lord Jesus Christ may come at any moment. Amen. Amen. I'm looking for him coming. I believe that the next thing on God's great agenda is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a homecoming we're going to have then. What a glad reunion day when you think about it. When you think about those that are going on before, the founders of this church, and those that had pastored and stood behind the sacred stand, and those again that labored, those that raised money, and those that that have gone on before us one day, we're going to see them. I was sharing with someone just this morning in the study, and we were talking about an individual person that had passed away. And meeting with someone over the, uh, just the last few weeks, as we sat in that living room and her husband had passed away. And I got down in, in front of Debbie and was going to pray. And right when I sat there and she was sitting here and I was kneeling here and Marsha's right here by my side. And I said to Debbie, dear, dear friends, and he had died suddenly, had a heart attack and was gone. 60, early 60s. And he's gone. Hard to believe. She started talking about all the plans that they had made and what they were going to do. She talked about how much she missed him. And no doubt she was going to miss him. And she's still going to miss him. But I said to Debbie, I said, Debbie, I want you to think about this. When we talk about heaven, it's talking about one eternal day. One eternal day. There's no night there. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? Do you realize... That we all arrive in heaven on the same day. Those of us who have lost our loved ones. That have gone on to be with the Lord. Daddy died in 1974. Oh how we miss him. But dad's enjoying heaven. Mom's enjoying heaven. Eddie Ray. All the family that have gone on to be with the Lord. We're missing them on this homecoming anniversary day. But they're not missing us. And the truth of it is. It's as if we were already there. Is your name written down in heaven? (laughs) It's It's as if you were already there. The Bible does say we sit in heavenly places here. And we must be about our Father's business. And we must be obedient to what the Lord has given us. But keep this in mind when you think about the motive, a compelling motive that is there. And may we keep this before us. It's a confident motive as well to know that one day I'm going to be with the Lord. But keep this in mind. Dad, Mom, they've been there all these many years. How many have somebody in heaven? Loved ones in heaven. All over this room we have family in heaven. And oh, how we miss them. But I said to Debbie, we all arrived to heaven on the same day. And so dad and mom are there. And one day I'm going to be there. And dad and mom, they're going to turn around and look at us and say, Roger and James, isn't this just wonderful? Boy, this is just, they're not going to say, boy, we sure have missed you. Where have y'all been? Not at all. That wouldn't be heaven. If they've missed us, that would not be heaven. At least for, for me. I don't know how they feel about James. But at any rate, it wouldn't. No, I do know how they feel about James. He was the favorite out of the whole group. But at any rate, they're not missing us. We're missing them. And when you think about reunion, you think about homecoming, you think about those that have gone on to be with the Lord, many funerals, no doubt, have been held in this church. And those individuals are in heaven. And one day we're going to see them face to face. And they're going to be standing around the glory just giving praise and just turn to, hey, Roger, into something, just something. It's not like... Boy, you've really missed something. No, we've not missed anything at all. 
It's one eternal day. And when we think about this I do for the gospel's sake. You see, even as a child of God, I recognized as a young man that God had a purpose in my life. That God had a plan in my life. And may I say, the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people what? Perish. You know what that word means, vision? Where there is no visible goal. Where there is no visible goal, the people go to pieces. That's what it means. It means God has a plan for all of us. And once we keep our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and knowing that the youngest Christian in this room and the oldest Christian in this room, regardless of age, it does not matter. God has a purpose for your life this hour. And God wants to use all of us. Keep this in mind. This I do for the gospel's sake. Why did you come this morning? This I do for the gospel's sake. Why do I witness to my neighbor? This I do for the gospel's sake. Why do you run these old buses all over Kannapolis? This I do for the gospel's sake. Why do we gather on prayer meeting night? Why do we go out on soul winning? Why do we do all of these things? This I do for the gospel's sake. You see, God has a plan. When you think about the gospel's sake, it's the good news of the glorious news of the gospel of the death burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance and we have a great responsibility oh we have a great opportunity to be a part of the gospel of Christ and this I do for the gospel's sake is what the apostle Paul is saying in this passage of scripture notice would you please in verse number 23 is where our text is of 1 Corinthians 9. But move up to chapter number tw- uh, I mean chapter 9, verse 12. Notice up there just a few verses up. If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used power, this power, but suffer all things lest we should what? Hinder the gospel of Christ. And so we must ask ourselves the question, Are we doing some things that hinder the gospel of Christ? We are epistles read of all men. They're watching our life. Paul said, this I do for the gospel's sake. He speaks about gaining the more, gaining the Jews, gaining those that are without the law, gaining the weak. And he says, by all means, this I do for the gospel's sake. And so Faith Baptist Church exists for this reason. For the gospel's sake. I want you to know we have a consuming spirit that lives and dwells within us. We're to walk in the spirit. We're to be led of the spirit. We're to be obedient to the spirit of God. We're to be filled with the spirit. What does that mean to be filled with the spirit? It means to be, again, under his control. Uh, By the way, it's not something that we seek after after we get saved. Uh, No, no. I received the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost the moment that I got saved. He lives and dwells within me. It's not about how much of the Spirit you have. It's how much of the Spirit has me and has you. It's about being under His control. Would you say amen? This I do for the gospel's sake, not on my own. I can't do it on my own. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live is for one reason only. He says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
He did say that. But it's for the gospel's sake. And so we're to walk in the Spirit, be led of the Spirit, obey the Spirit, be filled, emptied out of self, and be filled with the Spirit of God. And he says again, according to the power that worketh in us, this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers thereof with you. May I say, it's the power of God that worketh in me. This I do for the gospel's sake. Let me give you another thought. When we think about all of the, the reasons, it's a compelling motive. It's a constraining love, a consecrated call, a confident message, a consuming spirit, but also a compassionate desire. A compassionate desire. How many in this room could raise your hand and say, it's because someone else gave me the gospel cared enough about me to tell me the good news that I'm seated here today as a child of God. Would you raise your hand with mine? All over this room. You know what we're to be? Truth of it is, we're all beggars. We're all beggars. Telling another beggar where they can find bread. That's it. We're all beggars. Telling another beggar where they can find crumbs, where they can find bread, where they can find this free gift of eternal life. Amen. I want you to know it's a compassionate desire. The Bible says, he that with his soul is wise. Some, though, have compassion and they make a difference and someone made a difference in my life. I desire to make a difference in someone else's life of telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, just lift up your eyes and look on the fields and see they're white, all ready to harvest. May we be reminded again why Jesus came, why he's left us here for all of these many years. Dr. Charles Keene is a great man of God and getting way up in years. And I, I love this man with all of my heart. And Dr. Keene, he gave this statement one night when he was preaching at our church and I wrote it down. Dr. Charles Keene says, you'll never be moved from where you are until you lift up your eyes. You'll never be moved to where you are until you lift up your eyes. We've become so complacent. We've become so comfortable. And many times we've become into an area of compromise on the word of God. Oh, I cannot earn salvation. There's nothing I can do to keep my salvation. He keeps me. But because of this love and because of the commandment that we've been given, then we should commit to this cause and this I do for the gospel's sake. Notice what he says again in verse 19, verse 20, verse 21, verse 22, without reading it all over again, just underscore it. He said, I might gain, in verse 19, the more. I might gain the Jews, verse 21. I might gain them that are without the law, verse 21. I might gain the weak in verse 22. He said, I might gain. This I do for the gospel's sake. And basically there are two crucial items, two crucial items that we need to limit Christ, Christian liberty. And that's the one that is so important in all of our life as a Christian is self-denial. And Paul said, I adapted to the customs in order that I might gain the Jews. Keep in mind the goal for us is not heaven. The goal is winning others to Christ. The goal is not heaven. We've already received that. We're, we're in heaven as certain as if we was already there. No question about it. But we ought to understand that the Lord's left us here for a purpose. Paul did not compromise. And may I ask, you compromise when you set aside the truth. 
Paul was not a men pleaser. He said, this I do for the gospel's sake. This writing to the church at Galatia, the apostle Paul said, for do I now please men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if yet I please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. And may I say, if there's one area of my life that I must be conscientious of daily, is about this area of self-denial. Dying to self. Dying to self. Self-denial. And the other one is self-control. Of yielding these members as instruments to righteousness, not to unrighteousness. You say, but preacher, you've been a Christian how long? And you still have, you have this battle? Oh, as long as you're in this body, you're going to have this battle. Amen. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the Bible reminds us, I know the boundaries of my track. I know what I want to do. The apostle Paul said, and maybe we all say with Paul, I want to win people to Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the family that God has given us. I'm thankful for the opportunity God has given me to pastor these, these past 33 years and three months. I thank God for James who's been faithful as your pastor all these many years and how God has blessed in so many ways. My brother will never know, he will never know what influence he had on my life. Oh, it wasn't the time when he took the Soap bar, he and Sonny put me in the bathtub and washed my mouth out with soap. I resent that to this day. But his influence, his faithfulness, and the truth of it is all that I'm going to leave behind and all that you're going to leave behind is our influence on others. Mama, Papa, Grandparents, great-grandparents, dad, mom, son, daughter, brother, sister. All we're going to leave behind is our influence. May we be faithful to the Lord. Oh, I, I believe and we understand there's five major things for a Christian. Uh, to be faithful in your Bible reading. Would you say amen? amen. Faithful in your prayer life. Amen. Pray for an attendance to the house of God. Amen. Faithful in our tithing. Should have got a little more amens there. But how about this fifth one? A faithful and a witness. Those five key ingredients in a Christian's life. Would you agree? And Paul said, this I do. Talking about witnessing. Talking about laboring. Talking about proclaiming, preaching the gospel. This I do for the gospel's sake. A compelling motive is there when we understand what Christ has done for us. And when I think about that, you cannot help but think of His constraining love. But also this consecrated call. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service again. But also we have this confident message and the consuming spirit that lives within us. And so there's a compassionate desire that we want to see others. I love the book of Jude in that little verse 28. Is it verse 28? And of some have compassion. What? Making a difference in people's lives. There is a committed cause. And Paul said, this I do for the gospel's sake. Our heads are bound.
As we stand to our feet, no one moving around for just a moment, if you would. And in this place today that we could say to the Lord, Lord, I realize that you have something for me to do. I realize that you've left me here for a purpose. I want to encourage you just to step out from where you are. Even before the piano begins to play, would you just step out and come and say, for this cause, and this I do for the gospel's sake. The places I go, the people I associate with, the things I do, the things I don't do, this I do for the gospel's sake. Folks are coming. Would you step out and come? And say, this I do for the gospel's sake. If you cannot kneel, just come and sit here on the front pew. And in this room, while people are coming, to say, as a Christian, I realize this is an area that God is speaking to me about. Find your place. But could there be one in this room today who say, preacher, I'm a Christian. But the old devil has defeated me. I've allowed him to do so. I'm not where I need to be as a Christian. And I ask that you pray for me. I'll not call you out. I'm not coming back to you just by an uplifted hand as a Christian. Remember a time in your life when you trusted Christ, but you said, God's been speaking to my heart. Would you raise your hand with mine? Anywhere in this room, just lift your hand up. God bless you. Is there another? Just lift your hand up and take it right back down. God knows. You see, you're not, you're not reporting to me. You're just acknowledging to the Lord to say, Lord, I acknowledge my sin is ever before me. You see, that's so important for a Christian. If we be reminded, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But thank God for his promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God is speaking to your heart today, whether you raised your hand or not. In just a moment, the piano will begin to play. Then you step out and come. And should there be one here today in this great crowd on this Sunday morning, homecoming day, they say, Preacher, I'm not certain if I were to die right now, I'd go to heaven. I ask that you pray for me, for I do not want to die and go to a devil's hell. Is there one like that anywhere at all in this room? Just raise your hand up and take it right back down. Nobody will come to you. Nobody's calling you out and say, please pray for me. You're concerned as to where you spend eternity. God knows your heart. Father, bless now I pray this invitation. Help us as a church to be obedient to you. Help us to say with Paul, this I do. For the gospel's sake, no other reason, Lord, help us to be reminded of what you've done for us and yield ourselves to you. Help folks as they make decisions, those who need to rededicate their lives, or maybe one who needs to come to trust Christ as their Savior. Bless, I pray, in this service I ask every heart, and may we 